forgiveness, all right? How many of you guys are familiar with the word forgiveness? How many of you guys struggle with the word forgiveness? It's hard. It's easy to seek being forgiven, but extending the forgiveness is a totally different thing. We're going to talk about both sides of what forgiveness means, both giving and receiving it. Um, we don't just deserve forgiveness. Oh, come on, get over it, man. You never have the right just to expect someone to get over it. Even if they're a believer, we need to understand that when we've wronged someone, it takes time to restore relationships. And forgiveness, though it is a command, it is not an option, it is a required responsibility of the believer, it takes time to get your heart in gear with what you're deciding to do. And so tonight we look at forgiveness. The disciples struggled with it. We struggle with it, but we're to strive to grow in forgiveness. All right, you guys got your Bibles? Open up to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be jumping around a little bit tonight, talking about forgiveness. And I'm going to try and end uh, soon enough where we can talk about it if you guys have any questions or whatever. All right? But let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you tonight. And uh, God, for ultimately, Lord, for you forgiving us. Lord, if we've sinned against anyone, it's you. Lord, if we've wronged anyone, it's you. And so tonight, Lord, we get the big picture of it all. Lord, would we be people who could lay down seeking justice and vengeance and, Lord, pursue love and hope and peace. God, that we would be maybe on our deathbed known as people that are quick to forgive. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, ask you to teach us now in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. All right. Well, when we talk about forgiveness, a whole lot of different things come to mind. Uh, some people, a lot of pain comes to mind. Uh, for some people, they don't like it. You talk about, hey, you need to think about forgiving someone. I don't want to. Because forgiveness is a personal issue. The moment you bring up forgiveness, it is a personal issue. We can't point to different people around the room and, oh, they need to work on that. We all need to work on forgiveness. Because to give forgiveness means that you are going to sacrifice something. You have to give something up in order to give forgiveness. In the very same way that for me to buy you a Christmas present, I have to give up some money and give up some time. Uh, in the very same way that if I was to take you out to dinner or I was going to pick you up, it would take some time and it would take some energy and it would take some effort. Forgiveness is a sacrificial act. Forgiveness is a sacrificial act. That's why we're forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That if I'm to forgive you, I have to sacrifice some personal feelings, some personal emotions, something that you've done wrong to me. I have to be willing to give up uh, what the world may be, see as right payback, uh, or you've wronged me and so I can hold a grudge. Maybe I have the right to do that. But God says that if we're to follow him, we are to be people who can walk in forgiveness. The real issue, though, uh, with forgiveness is what happens if you don't do it. Why does God make forgiveness such a big deal? Why do you think God makes forgiveness such a big deal? Why is it so important that we're commanded? It's not a, hey, you should, or you should think about, or why don't you pray about? It's a command. If Jesus Christ is our Lord, we are commanded, you must forgive those who have sinned against you. It's kind of strong wording. But what does it mean to give forgiveness? What do you guys think? What happens? What causes us to need to give forgiveness? If we've wronged someone, what are some things that we do wrong? Cheeky's a stealer and a fighter. Dang. 
Isn't it funny? I ask this question, what do we do wrong? And none of us can answer the question. It's like, I don't know, maybe like murder and stuff. Like, we we come things that we've never done. Now, as soon as I say, hey, what have people done against you? Like, oh, well, they lied about me and they cheated and they stole my dollar or they took my iPhone and my little sister takes my clothes without asking. And we can give this long list of grudges we're holding at people who have wronged us. But I say, hey, what have you done wrong to other people? I don't know. I must be perfect. I have no idea. We're so quick to seek forgiveness and to forget our own faults, but man, we hang on to what other people have done wrong against us. Forgiveness demands that we dismiss other people's faults as quickly as we're willing to dismiss our own. The real issue with forgiveness is when we do not forgive, it causes great division. Because honestly, forgiveness only exists when two people are divided. Whether they're divided because of pain, they're divided because of a disagreement, they're divided because they're not seeing eye to eye on something or someone sinned against someone else. It has caused a division, a break in the relationship. And so forgiveness is what mends it. And so sometimes we think they are our enemy. If you and I were to get in a fight, now you're my enemy. Or your mom and dad aren't getting along with you and all of a sudden your parents are the enemy. Or maybe your brother, your sister, they're the enemy. They're not the enemy. The real issue, any time forgiveness is to be extended, the enemy is Satan. It's super clear. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, one of Satan's missions is to divide and to destroy the body of Christ. That when forgiveness is needed and that personal sacrifice is required, it's because something is broken. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You could put your brother or your sister's name or that guy at school or that girl on the team or your mom and dad's. We do not wrestle against mom and dad. We don't wrestle against brother and sister, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness. If Satan can divide the body of Christ, we are powerless. If Satan can creep in and destroy relationships, what could we possibly do for the kingdom of God? The issue is not the person across from you. The person that is to be blamed is Satan himself, the devil. A couple different things, all right? We'll get through this, and I want to talk about it. If you guys have questions, raise your hand, all right? Tonight we're talking, and this is a hard topic. I'll tell you now, I had a hard time making it all the way through studying this today because there's a lot more that could be said. There's a lot of questions that come up. It causes us to look at our own lives. Tonight's not looking at the people who have wronged us, but the people that whom we've wronged. Talking with my wife before service a little bit, I said, man, it's been hard, like, thinking about forgiveness all day. And she's like, well, what's been so hard about it? It's, been a, it's an interesting perspective. A lot of times when I think of forgiveness, I think of the people who have wronged me. But all day I've been thinking about the people who I've wronged, that I need to seek their forgiveness. It's not, well, they need to come and apologize. I'm like, dang, who have I wronged? Who have I come against? What have I destroyed? For us, if we would maybe spend less time thinking about who needs to come apologize to us and more time thinking about who we need to go apologize to, forgiveness would be much more quickly given. Colossians chapter 3. Hopefully you guys opened it. We're going to look at this verse at the very end tonight. But Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12, says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, put on humility, put on meekness, uh, that is gentle power, Put on long-suffering or put on patience. And then it says, bear or bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, right? You guys ever have complaints against people? They wronged me or I don't like what they did or they said this or what? 
Okay? If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, what do you do when, you can com- when you're complaining about somebody? You make it right. You make them understand that you're right and they're wrong. That's how we feel. As soon as we have a complaint, oh man, they're messed up. I, what you're really saying is I'm right and they're wrong in this topic. That they're messed up and my perspective's the right one. You know what the Lord says? Take a look. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also must do. What do you do? You don't make them see it your way. You don't argue and argue and argue until they give in and say, all right, you're right and I'm wrong. You forgive them. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. It's a command. What do we do when someone's wronged us? What do we do when we think we're right and someone else is wrong? Forgive them. What do we do when someone else has wounded them? Do we show them how big of a scar they're leaving? Do we tell them how sad we are and how messed up they made our lives and, and try and inflict the same amount of pain or at least help them understand how much grieving we're going through? No. That's what our flesh wants. Our flesh wants the other person to know how bad they've hurt us. The Lord says, forgive them. What if God had to expose to us how much pain we put him through before we could be forgiven of our sins? It's not how he works. He says, just as Christ has forgiven you, what does it take to be forgiven? The Bible says you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and God is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. You just ask, Lord, I'm sorry. He says, okay, now what? Now what do you want to do? That's it? In the same way that we are forgiven by Christ, by just asking and repenting and seeking forgiveness, just by simply humbling ourselves and coming to him, that when someone comes humbly to us and says, hey, I'm sorry, what do you do? Do you hang on to it or do you let it go? The responsibility is interesting. Forgiveness. Who's supposed to do the forgiving? The one who was offended or the offender? Who's supposed to seek forgiveness, I guess, is a better question. What do you think? I need a vote here. Option A, the person who did the offending. They're the ones that did something wrong. Let's say, worst case scenario, they're the ones who literally put a knife in your back. All right? You didn't die. You almost died. You got out of the hospital. They wronged you. Option A, they're supposed to come and apologize. Hey, I'm sorry about the knife in your back thing. I realize now it was wrong. So are they supposed to be the ones seeking forgiveness? Or you who's got now like 19 stitches in your back, getting out of the hospital, are you supposed to go find him and seek forgiveness? Is it the answer A or is the answer B? How do you guys say A? The guy who put the knife in my back is supposed to come seeking forgiveness. All right. How do you guys say option B? The guy in the hospital is the one that's supposed to seek forgiveness. How do you guys are like, dude, I think you're trying to trick me. <laughs> uh-huh. But here's right, you're, you're both right. I'm trying to trick you. The answer is A and B, all right? What, what do you mean? The Bible says that both are responsible to seek this thing called forgiveness. No one's out of it. That both the one who did the offending and the one who was offended are to seek the restoration of a relationship. Both of them. No one's off the hook. It's incredibly interesting. Take a look. If you are the offender... You are absolutely 100% required to seek forgiveness from the other person. If you've done something wrong to someone, you're supposed to go to them, humble yourself, say, I messed up. I'm sorry I gossiped about you. I'm sorry I lied about you. Uh, I'm sorry I mistreated you. Whatever it is, I am so sorry. That is, and that is a hard thing to do. And God says you must. 
Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. This is the other side of the coin. They're like, what? I don't understand. This means if you're sitting there, literally you come to church tonight. This happened to me a couple weeks ago. I had to step out of service during a communion night and go make a phone call. That if you come to church tonight and you're sitting here and you're literally oblivious to everything going on in life, you think everything's wonderful. I love Christmas lights, candy canes, and hot chocolate. Whoa, worship. Everything's awesome. You're like, Lord, I lift your name on high or whatever you're singing. I don't know what songs we're singing later. I don't know. But you're singing to the Lord and all of a sudden God's like, hey, your mom's mad at you. Oh, dang. I forgot about that. If you look, Matthew 5, 23 says, if you bring your gift to the altar and there, right in that moment, you remember that your brother has something against you. You don't have anything against them. They have something against you. You know it. You guys know when something's off with someone. You have a friend or someone in your family. Like, you're right. Fine. Are you sure? Yeah. You mean to talk about anything? No. I know there's something wrong with him. But they don't want to talk about it. God says, you better get away from this altar. Don't you dare bring me any kind of offering before you make that right. So you leave it there. Drop it right where you are. Well, they're the ones that have something against me. They're the ones that are mad at me. Shouldn't they come and talk to me about it? Yes, they should, but they're not. So God says, hey, they're not coming to you, so you go to them. Imagine, what if Christmas never happened? What if God's like, I'm going to sit up here until they come talk to me? Are you kidding? We'd never have forgiveness of sins. We'd never have everlasting life. He came to us in the same way. We're the ones that messed up, but he came to us. We're supposed to go to the ones that offended us or the ones that have something against us. Uh, that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Shouldn't the bad guy come and ask for forgiveness? Yes. But here's a question. If I make you mad, right? Let's say I hold the door open for everyone that came in the room tonight and I close the door in your face and ran up here and like, what a jerk! He held the door open for everyone, and then I was coming, he just let it go, click, like, what's up with that? And you come in here, and you're like, well, he needs to apologize to me. And two years later, you're like, I can't believe he hasn't apologized yet. What if I didn't see you? What if it was too dark, and I didn't know? Or what if I thought holding the door open wasn't a very big deal? Should the one who did something wrong seek forgiveness? Yes, but what if they didn't know they did something wrong? What if they genuinely had no clue? They're like, I did what? You're supposed to go to them the same way they should come to you. You're supposed to go to them. You're supposed to meet in the middle. Matthew 18, verse 5. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. You seek them out. Don't wait for them to come to you. This is so backwards. We live to sit in our corner and pout until someone comes and says, I'm sorry. It's like, it's, we love that. I'm going to sit here and my life's so horrible. Your life's not that horrible in the first place. And in the second place, God says, get up out of your corner and go after him. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. 
How many people should get involved when someone's done something wrong to you? Two people should be involved. That's it. Two plus one? Two plus who? No one. If someone's done something wrong to you, who do you tell? The only person you tell is the one who's done something wrong. The one who's offended or sinned against you. That's it. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. The only time you go get a little bit of help is if they're like, dude, you're out of your mind. I didn't do anything wrong. And this is a huge issue. This isn't a little issue, all right? This, we're talking about a big sin issue. Something wrong is happening. Something big has gone on. It says, then you go get one more person who already knew this. They saw the situation from a distance. They've experienced the same thing. Um, they, they're eyewitnesses of whatever it is in this person's life. You don't go tell someone your side, get them to believe you, and then come after them. That doesn't count. That's called a false witness. They weren't there. So what do you do? You wait. You talk to them, you go after them alone. What about wise counsel? You guys ever know, you know what wise counsel is? We use this as a loophole all the time. What does wise counsel mean? What does it mean to seek wise counsel? Yeah. Yeah, right on. You go ask someone who's a little bit older and wiser than you are, who maybe has gone through something similar or at least has uh, observed something similar and say, hey, what should I do in this situation? All right? Seeking wise counsel is a very good thing. Proverbs, I think it's chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. Where there is no counsel, the people fail. When we just are left to our own understanding, eventually everything is going to fall apart. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. I love it. It's not just that there's wisdom. It's not just that the right answer we found, but there's safety in that. That In the multitude of counselors that when you seek it, this, by the way, let me tell you right now, at your age, your best friends are probably not wise counselors. Just I'm letting you know, all right? I love you, and so no. Your best friends at your age probably are not wise counselors. I'm not saying they're dumb and they're stupid. I'm saying because they love you so much, they'll probably emotionally side with you. And pretty soon, instead of helping extinguish the fire, they'll be like, they did what? Oh my gosh, let's, what should we do? And they begin to throw gas on the fire instead of extinguish it. They love you. Their heart might be right in it. They're trying to defend you. You're their best friend, but they're not the wise counselor. Because the wise counselor will not say anything other than Matthew 18. If you come and say, man, that guy, he's always making my life horrible. He makes fun of me and he trips me at lunchtime and he always ties my backpack to the stop sign when I'm not looking. So when I try and leave, I get stuck on it. Like, I hate that guy. If you go tell a wise counselor that, you know, I'll tell you right now, if they are a wise counselor, what they'll tell you is, well, have you talked to him about it? They'll tell you Matthew 18. Well, step one says you and him talk about it alone. Technically, if, I was, if you came to me and I was to give you wise counsel, I'd say, honestly, you shouldn't even have come to me yet. You shouldn't, I shouldn't, you, you, you've already introduced one more person because the Bible's already spoken on this. What, you don't need clarity. The Bible tells you what to do. If someone's offended you, they've sinned against you, go tell them. 
If they won't receive it, then let's talk. But before then, you go talk to them alone, and don't you tell one other soul. So if you go seeking wise forgiveness and they give you non-biblical answers or they don't give you Matthew 18 in this kind of a situation, they're not your wise counselors. Talk to a parent. Talk to grandma or grandpa. Oh, gosh. Talk to grandma and grandpa. You know, the Bible says the wider someone's hair is, the more wisdom they have. More or less, paraphrasing. But they say the older they are, the wiser they become. Um, so what about wise counselors? We say all the time, well, I, I talked to my 15 friends about it because I just wasn't sure what to do and I thought maybe they'd help me. You built an army. 15 people are all on your side. You could pound this person into the ground. Don't cloak gossip with wise counsel. That's not wise counsel. It's an unwise decision. So, the offender, if you've done something wrong, you're supposed to seek forgiveness. If someone's wronged you, you're supposed to go to them and seek forgiveness. Why? Remember, they're not the enemy. Us sitting and waiting for an apology is selfish. Us refusing to go to them because they're too bad, we've made them the enemy. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers of darkness. We've got to recognize that when there's division amongst people, Satan is the one at work. How do you stop Satan from succeeding? Seek forgiveness. You've got, it's so hard when our emotions are hurt or we've personally been offended, to recognize that it's the enemy at work, but it's not that guy or that girl. It's not the person across the room or in the, in the bedroom down the hallway. It is Satan at work trying to divide your house. And Jesus said, if a home is divided, it cannot stand. That the only way to crush Satan's hold on that kind of a situation is to seek forgiveness. I want to give you guys a little bit of an encouragement or exhortation, I guess. There's a difference between an offense, um, what did I write down? From being wronged and from being offended. All right? You guys know what it means to have thick skin? Okay? Um, to have thick skin. You guys know what calluses are? All right? If you ever go swing a hammer for a while or go to dig a hole and you get blisters all over your hands, because you have soft skin. You don't have thick skin. You don't have calluses. Everything's too new and it's easily torn or manipulated or messed up. But if you do it over and over and over again, you get thicker skin and it begins to build up and it gets hard and you can do some pretty hard work. We've got to have some thick skin. The first thing uh, you've got to be able to recognize is one, when we are wrong. Someone sinned against you. If someone has sinned against you, they've lied about you, they've cheated, they've stolen, they've done something super wrong and it's absolutely obvious, go to them. You're commanded to go to them. If you've done it to someone, you're commanded to go to them. But what about when we're personally offended, okay? Personally offended is something very different. It feels like someone sinned against us. Um, it just means you've got your feelings hurt. Let's say someone buys, you know, someone a hot chocolate, and they didn't buy you a hot chocolate. And you go home, and you're like, what a jerk. They're so mean. can't believe Johnny got a hot chocolate, but I didn't get a hot chocolate. Can I encourage you guys in something? Or if someone's like, well, they said nice shirt to her and that she had nice shoes and I got a haircut they didn't notice. They're so selfish. You've got to learn to have some thicker skin. That's not a sin issue. Was it wrong of them? Maybe. Could they have been a little nicer? Probably. Is it worth carrying around this grudge and then pulling up? Isn't it funny? Someone wrongs us just a little bit and we pull out the big guns. They're a loser. 
They're mean. I don't even know if they're really saved. Like, because they didn't buy you hot chocolate? Come on. In the very same way, we've got to be able to recognize before we break up a relationship or destroy something that uh, someone in our lives that we love and begin to hurl all these accusations on them, recognize, hold on, have they actually done anything wrong to me or am I just being a little overly sensitive here? Get some, get some thicker skin. Um, the reason. You guys know about the prodigal son in the Bible? Interesting guy, the prodigal son. Very bold. He says, Dad, you're going to die someday. Imagine that. You go home and you're like, Dad, I've been thinking. What have you been thinking? Well, you're my dad. Yeah, I love being your dad. Well, you're going to die. And when you die, I'm sure I'm in your will somewhere, right? You're going to give me part of the house, and you're going to give me one of the cars, and uh, you know, probably $10,000 or something, right? Well, yeah. Well, since it's going to happen, I mean, you're going to die anyways. Let's just pretend like you're already dead, and you give me what I deserve now. He has this conversation. This dad, I don't know if he did the right thing or the wrong thing. I have a personal opinion, but it doesn't really matter because what happens in this story that Jesus is telling is he takes that inheritance and he gives it to the little brat. Like, all right, here you go. The kid goes out. He spends it on all, let's just say, drugs, sex, and rock and roll, all right? He's just blowing dad's money on everything, winds up homeless, eating pig food, and living in the mud. He wakes up one day and is like, you know, this isn't as much fun as I thought it was. The money's gone, the food's gone, the comfort's gone, I have no friends, I don't even have my family. He's, I have an idea. Even my father's servants, they, at least they have a bed to sleep on. At least they get food in the evenings. I'm going to go back and I'm just going to try and work for my dad. And so he's going to come back and he's going to say, Dad, you can enslave me, I will work for you, you, whatever. I just, I messed up. And he begins to walk back. And if you know the story, the father's, I don't know if he's sitting on the porch or looking out the window or, or what, but he sees his son coming from a long way away. Dad picks up what he's got and just starts sprinting across the field, and he grabs his son who's returned, and that night he throws this huge celebration. Biggest party that family's probably ever seen, because to him, his son who was dead now had come back and, and become willing, and so the dad gets super excited. But there's a tiny little part at the end, there's the brother that's involved. There's the prodigal son, the prodigal's father, but then there's the prodigal's brother. He hates this party. He's looking at me like, what in the world? He says, hey, dad, you're going to die, so just give me my stuff now. And then he leaves and takes off and betrays our family. And now he comes back and my dad's throwing a party? What is this? It's called forgiveness. It's not fair not right and it doesn't make sense guys forgiveness is not fair it's usually not right and it usually doesn't make sense that's what forgiveness is the reason for forgiveness if we're not careful it will cause a root of bitterness to sprout in our hearts and become so poisoned hebrews 12 Starting at verse 14, it says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. 
looking carefully, be careful, he says, so that you do not, or lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble, and by this many have become defiled. It means to be stained, like spilling grape juice on a white wedding dress. You belong to the Lord, but you're hiding this bitterness in your heart. And it was just this little tiny thing that happened so long ago. But an interesting thing about weeds, they grow, and they grow quick. Remember a couple years ago, we had this uh, little, I mean, obviously we all have little weeds, but there was this weed that grew about two feet high. I was like, oh, I need to rip that out of the ground. And every day I'd park, and I'd be too tired, so I'd get out of the car, I need to pull that out tomorrow. And I'd walk up to my door, and I need to pull that out. After about three months, the thing's as tall as my shoulder and about as round as a small tree. It was, it was huge. I was like, ha, ha, I got to pull that out someday and went inside the house. Well, the day finally came where it was almost as tall as I was. This thing's a huge, and you go to rip it out of the ground, you can't do it. I grab onto it, all these thorns go in my hand. I was like, oh! So you get gloves on, like, that's it, I'm going to win. And you grab onto that thing and start yanking like crazy. It doesn't move. So now you got to get out the sledgehammer to break up the rocks and then the shovel to dig it out. And all this damage is done. Why? Because when it was small and could have been pulled out with two fingers, you just kind of ignored it and just kind of ignored it and just kind of ignored it and just kind of ignored it. And in the same way, when we don't deal with forgiveness the way we are commanded to do so, a root of bitterness will begin to grow in your heart. It will wrap itself around every inch of your life. It starts small, but their bitterness in one area will lead to another and lead to another and lead to another. And pretty soon, you're bitter about everything. You are stained. It's what it means to be defiled. And the only way to get it out is going to be a lot of work and a lot of pain. Be very careful. The root of bitterness. Guys, a bitter root produces bitter fruit. It's just the way it is. A bitter root creates bitter fruit. The things in our lives, will beco- we will become the bitter ones. Why didn't do anything wrong? Isn't this so weird? Someone did something wrong to us. And we become the ones that are so messed up. We can't even see straight. I didn't do anything wrong. I know. But because you failed to forgive and remove that little root of bitterness, now everything in life is stained and tainted by it all. It's crazy. We're to focus more on what Jesus has done for us because this is it. This is life's, I think, key. If we can focus daily hourly, minute by minute, if we can focus more on what Jesus has done for us than what people do to us, forgiveness will be much, much easier. We'll see our sins. We'll see things right. I'm not perfect. I've messed up. Man, the Lord forgave me of lying or cheating or stealing or lusting or whatever it was. And so you know what? If God forgave me this huge offense, I can definitely forgive you this little one. That if we can remember moment by moment that what Jesus has done for us is more important than what people have done to us, we'll be able to walk in forgiveness. What if you don't think they'll accept your apology? Do you guys ever do this? Ah, you know what? They won't, even if I go say sorry, they won't accept the apology anyway. Yeah, we all do. Oh, it's not worth it. They won't listen to me. Oh, they won't believe me. Oh, they don't care. Hey, guess what? You don't know that. 
It's an idea or a thought in your mind that you don't know if it's true. And oftentimes, and it's, it's an excuse not to do something that feels awkward. Because seeking an apology or seeking forgiveness feels awkward. It means you're saying, I'm wrong, I'm the moron, I'm sorry. That's not easy to do. You guys are familiar with Sword in the Stone? It's an old movie, little animated movie, Sword in the Stone. Um, it's kind of dull and boring, but the whole thing, if you don't know about it, is based off of all these huge, strong knights that come along, and they're trying to pull this sword that's been locked up in this stone out. Why? Because whoever pulls it out gets to be the next king. And so time goes on, and eventually the strongest, biggest, most valiant knights, they cannot get the sword out of the stone. So much time, the dust has covered it, snow has covered it. Well, this little torpy boy comes along. He's got no power, no strength. As far as I know, he's actually just a servant. He has no royal blood in him. Well, throughout the movie, he comes to the end, and he touches it, and something happens. Something different, and he grabs onto it, and all of a sudden, whoom, the sword is loosed. Why? Because he's the right one for the right moment. What if it wasn't about what's fair or what's right or what people deserve or what we want? But forgiveness is what's right in the right moment. It's just a small little thing that has a tremendously huge impact. Doesn't make sense, doesn't feel right, and no one would have seen it coming. But it answers all of the problems. Bitterness will cause the offended one to become the most messed up. A fruit worthy of repentance. When we're the guilty ones, all right? Have you guys ever offended somebody? You've done something wrong? Anybody ever punched their sister? All the girls raised their hand. The guys are like, I think, but when I woke up, I couldn't remember. I think my dad might have hit me so hard. I don't know. When we've messed up, we've got to understand, when we're the guilty ones, the Bible tells us Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, says to bear fruit worthy of repentance. What does that mean? It says that the things in our lives should carry the same weight as a life that is truly repented or turned away from our sins, associated with having the weight or the value of repentance. If you've done something wrong to someone and you've gone, hey, will you forgive me? And they say yes, don't wake up tomorrow and be like, why aren't you over it yet? I, I said sorry. Okay, hold on. Give them some time. Forgiveness and healing are two different things. Okay? Forgiveness and healing are two totally different things. Forgiveness is a decision. Healing is a process. Depending on how badly we sin against them, we'll talk, determine how long it takes to be restored. They can say, yeah, you know what, I forgive you. I'm not going to hold this against you. I'm not going to bring it up anymore. But don't expect them just to get over it that fast. Forgiveness versus restoration. Forgiveness means to pardon or to release someone from guilt. I forgive you. Restoration means to bring it back to a former or original condition. If you were to knock down a building and then build it back up into the same thing it once was, that's restoration. You can knock it down and be like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> They're like, you know what? It's all right. I forgive you. I'll rebuild it. Okay. Is it done tomorrow? No, it takes time. It's the very same concept that a relationship is smashed because of sin. Look. Forgiveness can be instantaneous, but restoration can take time. And, by the way, restoration isn't always required when it comes to a position. Think about it. If, if uh, money, 
let's say we all start some big company and I'm the one that's in charge of the money and you find out I've been stealing a ton all the time, right? I'm so sorry, can you forgive me of that? Yes. Does it mean that you have to give me back the position of counting all the money? No, that would make you dumb. You can forgive me and not hold me. Or let's say someone comes out and beats little kids. You find out a kid, a guy, maybe there's a lady that works at a preschool, and you find out she's been knocking little kids into a wall all year long, right? There's bad people out there. And you find out. And what if she, genuinely, she comes, she's like, I'm so sorry. And you're like, I forgive you. Can I have my job back? No. I forgive you, but you don't get the opportunity to do it again. Well, then you don't forgive me. Anyone that says you have to let them do what they were originally doing or else you didn't really forgive them doesn't understand forgiveness or they're lying to you, all right? You don't have to, if someone is abusing somebody else, you can forgive them without giving them the opportunity to do it again. Does that make sense to you guys? Yes, no? You guys good? Last thing, it is a required responsibility. Luke chapter 17. Flip to Luke real quick. Luke chapter 17. Forgiveness is not easy, but it is not optional. If you're a believer, you say, I am a Christian. Jesus Christ is my Lord, meaning he's the commander, the chief. He calls the shots. All right. Then guess what? It's not easy, but it's not optional. This forgiveness thing. Luke chapter 17, starting at verse 3. It says, take heed to yourself. It means you watch your step. Watch your step. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. Tell him, you messed up. What are you doing? And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in one day, and seven times in one day returns to you saying, I repent. You shall forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. They said, What? What? They say, Hey, if someone sins against you, guess what? Forgive them. There's nothing else to talk about. You cannot hold, if you're a believer, you have to extend grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And he says, if someone has sinned against you seven times in one day, that means breakfast, before lunch, at lunch, after lunch, at dinner, and then slightly after dessert. They've done something wrong to you over and over and over in a day. But every time they do it, they come and they say, I repent. By the way, repent means they come and they say, I messed up. I'm so sorry. I was wrong. They got to be seeking it. But if they come to you and say, I messed up, you have to forgive them. What if they do it again uh, at brunch? Are they seeking forgiveness? Yeah, forgive them. And then again at lunch? I mean, gosh, they just did it an hour ago and two hours before that. Well, did they come saying, hey, I'm sorry, I messed up again? Jesus says, you better forgive them. Every single time someone seeks forgiveness, we've got to give it. I love it. The disciples, the apostles say, oh, Lord, increase our faith. Why? 
Because forgiveness is not a natural trait. It's not a natural trait. It is hard. But if we trust in God and we're following the Lord and we're focused more on what he has done for us than what people have done to us, you can do it. But it requires faith. Forgiveness requires faith. Will you trust that the Lord will pay back what's right in the end? Will you trust that God will make things right? How do we do that? The very beginning verse, and the last one I give to you guys, Colossians chapter 3. We'll talk for like 10 minutes. We've got time to talk for a little bit. But Colossians chapter 3, verses 12. We just read them in the beginning. How, how in the world do we do that? It says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. Or to be merciful. It means slow to judge. Hold back vengeance. Put on tender mercies. Put on kindness. And just be kind. If you can learn to walk in kindness and be nice to people, it's going to be a hard time walking around being angry all the time. Put on humility. This means you're not above them. They sinned against me. Yeah, but you've sinned against someone else too. You've been in their position. You're better than they are. They lied. Oh, you've never lied? I hate lying. I understand you hate lying. I didn't ask if you hate lying. To say you've never lied makes you a liar. Give me a break. Maybe that's not your chief thing. Well, they stole. You've never stole anything? I'm better than, no. Humility. Walk. Put it on. Remind yourself, I am a sinner saved by grace. You have to wake up every morning and look in the mirror and say, Lord, thank you for saving this sinner by your grace. Do it. Meekness. Meekness is an awesome word. It means you have incredible power but it's under control. You're not seeking destruction. Long-suffering. You're patient. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Isn't this awesome? The, to- the church is told, as you are the church, the elect of God, holy and beloved, the church, you guys, put on mercy, put on kindness, put on humility, put on meekness, put on long-suffering. And he says, bear with one another. What does that mean? Put up with each other. I don't want to. Put up with each other. I don't like him. Put up with him anyways. Why? God puts up with you. What? That's not nice. It's true. None of us in here read the Bible every day this year. None of us prayed enough. None of us served enough. None of us were kind enough. None of, none of us. If God can put up with me, then I should certainly learn how to put up with you. And indeed, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another person... Even as Christ forgave you, you also must do. And here's the key. Above all these things, put on love. It is the bond of perfection. It's amazing. There's a story of an old Indian chief. Sorry, he wasn't the chief. It was the chief's son. And the enemy tribe, they came in, and a man snuck into the village at night, and he killed the the, fa- the kid's father. And they sneak off back to their camp and they're sitting there. The next day, the son gets up. He gets his father's horse, which is the nicest horse the tribe had. Gets all of his father's stuff, packs it up, and he goes and he hunts down the man who killed his father. He walks into the camp. He calls him out and he comes out and he says, are you the one that killed my father? 
man saying this is, yeah, it was me. This young Indian boy gives him the horse, gives him all the treasures, gives him everything. He says, if you killed my father, then now you are my father. I have forgiven you, and I will love you the way I loved him. It began to break away everything that those two tribes had in opposition to one another. It was amazing. Hopefully you guys know who Martin Luther King Jr. is. I love a quote. He says, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a constant attitude that we are to walk in forgiveness. It's not an option, right? Make sense? It's hard. I'm not telling you forgiveness is easy, but it's not optional. We've got to learn or we're just like the world. Let's pray and we'll talk for just a little bit, all right? Father, we ask that you'd allow these things to settle in our hearts. God, that we wouldn't seek vengeance and we wouldn't just seek justice and we wouldn't just seek what is fair, but God, we'd seek to do your will. And you've told us to pray for our enemies. You've told us, Lord, as you've forgiven us, we, are, we must forgive those who have sinned against us. Lord, help us do it. Lord, help us to seek it no matter which side we're on. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you have any questions? I've got questions. I asked the Lord a lot of questions today.